I'm really into like how are we framing health and wellness and let, making it open and keeping it open for the things that we're not expecting to fill it. Beyond Ourselves is a podcast where I, Taylor Camille, share stories by those living a life fully and beyond any stigma or perceived limitations a health condition may have on their day-to-day lives. For season two of this series, we're highlighting stories from Black men. The stigmas around caring for their health and bodies beyond fitness and examining masculinity. As always, please share and subscribe if you haven't already. Today we're speaking with Jerron Herman, who is just a wonderful human being. Jerron is a dancer with cerebral palsy, though it only affects one side of his body. Cerebral palsy is one of the most common motor disabilities that is established in childhood, where researchers have found that black children were about 30% more likely than white children to develop the disability. We talked at length, and I promise you I tried to condense this conversation into 30 minutes to 40 minutes, but I just could not. There were too many gems, and also you'll hear that we had a bit of technical difficulties. So between that and just the flow of our conversation, I just thought that it was worth it to have this be a little bit longer than our typical episodes. If you need to break it up for yourself by all means, be my guest. I'm happy you're just listening at all. But there is a spot where our connection drops. It's about 19 minutes through. So if you want to use that as your barometer to save the rest for another day, but I've got to say, I think this is a pretty good episode. And the things and the themes that Jerron and I talk about are just things that have been circulating my mind, especially recently. Just, you know, the thought of black masculinity, how we treat members of the disabled community, especially given the recent 30-year anniversary of the American Disabilities Act. So I hope you'll enjoy. And here's Jerron. I'm Jerron Herman. I'm a disabled dancer and artist. I'm originally from the Bay Area in California. Yee! And I moved here in 2009. I moved out here in 2009 to pursue a degree and in theater and dramatic writing. And then just life went a different path and I became a dancer. And I've been working in the disability art space for the last like, well, 10 years, but really started to develop my own work around 2018. So it's still very fresh and new to be interdisciplinary independent artist. I'm now working with a fantastic group company called Kinetic Light, spearheaded by Alice Shepard, who's just one of the one of the best in the game. So exciting Amazing. where I'm at right now. And out here being New York, right? Yes, I am in New York, still in New York. Very cool. Very, very cool. And I so I kind of came across I don't know how I came across you. I might have been I don't know. I get down rabbit holes and then I can't, I don't know how to get out. Like I just like end up in a space and then I'm like, the rabbit hole is not where you get out. <laughs> you can't get yeah. out. <laughs> You're right. You're right. You're very right. But I was there and I happened upon, I, I don't know. I saw this video. I ended up on your portfolio and then I saw this, like the great big story video you did back in 2017, I think. And I yeah. thought that was really beautiful, like expression of your, 
this journey and like a good snippet into your life. And in that you kind of describe your body, but I wondered if you have an updated description of how you would describe your body or even what's your favorite thing about your body? Wow, that's such a great question. So I'll start with like the medical, because I actually, you know, definition work and definitions in general, like in the lexicon, general lexicon, but also in the medical lexicon and the art lexicon, just the definitions of words and what they, and their importance or their usefulness to maybe the artist or just the layman is like really interesting to me. So I I use it, it's generative to me. So my medical diagnosis is hemiplasia cerebral palsy and it's a condition that's a neuromuscular condition that affects the voluntary or involuntary movement and motion of my body and then hemiplasia refers to the quadrant of the body that is affected which is my left side so my whole left side is impaired and has involuntary motion to how I feel about my body, there's this evolving organization or like evolving kind of collaboration with both sides that's happening. I've I've been feeling like my whole adolescence was about trying to not necessarily erase my disability, but certainly to act like it wasn't there, like it didn't serve as a deterrent to my, you know, entry into society, into my entry into mainstream academics. And so my medical professionals, my team, like just kind of went overdrive on trying to make me efficient. And then Mm -hmm. moving to dance, there was a different kind of like erasure or organization, which was to kind of compel the body to make these shapes, make these, make these, these lines, these angles, this you know, this sense of endurance, this sense of physical feet that looked much right. like my experience with in physical therapy, but for yeah. beauty, you know? Yeah. For the first time through dance, my body was seen as something to create beautiful images mm-hmm. just by its very being. So I think that that mm-hmm. gave me a lot of confidence at the same time to even want to dive deeper into what my body could give and what it's about. So yeah, because I'm, I'm in the industry because I'm black, I'm male, I'm disabled. Like <laughs> those are those are high commodities, high, you know, they're, they're rarities in the industry. Mm-hmm. So the kind of the intrigue from the field has largely sustained me in what, you know, kind of what I want to do. Um, so that's mm-hmm. kind of mm-hmm. I came across this, I don't know, something online. And it was like, don't meet people. And it it jogged my memory when you said you put in air quotes that your body's not cooperating. And it's like, don't meet people where they're at. Meet them. Oh, no, don't meet people where you want them to be. Meet them where they're at. And that kind of reminded Mm -hmm. me when you said, you know, my body is quote unquote not cooperating. Because it is cooperating, but in its own own way. And it's, you know. Mm Mm-hmm. We're always like, yeah, we're all, we're always evolving. Like it, every day is like a new, a new landscape. And I think even the word organization, I kind of, I kind of wince at that word because it's like, to, to what extent, you know, what's the end goal for our bodies or for our, you know, our states? Like, are we 
what's the optimal that everyone kind of has in their brain and then mm -hmm. how is it how is it useful to us i definitely believe because of like my disability lens and disability justice lens that you know <laughs> we we live in a world that is created for a sense of productivity and production and and action and remuneration that has really really relied on the body in of course century long harmful ways you know just in the black experience alone like we've been known for our labor and to like for that to be a part of our you know even our our merit you know now in sports or now in in in, in entertainment like endurance and and going to the wall you know sweating and and being of use with your body has always been a high mark for individuals and so it's you know it's the oppressor it's the oppressed like everyone is operating in this hyper productivity state and it's not getting repaired and it's not but it's not moving us forward as as far as we think it does because we break down you know mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah when everyone is talking about burnout or talking about not feeling productive is because you know we've run ourselves down <laughs> you mentioned you know being a a high commodity and i something mm -hmm. flickered in my mind and I, I just wondered how you deal with that gaze and because i think of like you know the dave Chappelle effect where he realizes like maybe they're not you know in on the joke maybe they're laughing at him and maybe they're you know all of these thoughts come to mind so how i mean I don't know if you have an answer, but how, how do you deal with the gaze and deal with knowing that you're, for lack of a better word, and seen as an anomaly, you know? I quote Beyonce, the best, <laughs> the best revenge is your paper. <laughs> I, it, I, I am coming up against like a moral quandary around the even the word commodity and it being expressed um, or used around my body and around what I produce because it it definitely dehumanizes me or it it it, it makes me into a a tool individual and to a certain extent you know I I I love the idea that you know I'm repairing a void I'm bridging a void I'm mending a void that has been in the dance industry or in the arts forever mm -hmm. and able to insert myself into the canon but if the, uh, also like we also have to change why that's important or or how i how i do enter into the space i just had a really interesting experience where i all of the the natural or expected ways of maybe showing up for a gig or or producing something were in line with this institution i was working with However, the procedure and the and the process was not in my ethic or in my it wasn't wasn't a high quality for me, and so mm -hmm. I really didn't have to separate like the fact that I could show up, maybe tired, maybe worn down, maybe burnt out, but I could show up and what's mm -hmm. the optimal state that I wanted to show up in, and so that was for me a really a, a it was rough because of course I want to never give anyone any inclination that I not, might not show up or that I can't do something or that, you know, like I have, I have mm -hmm. amendments, but also I needed to, set a, a, I needed to draw a line mm -hmm. for how I could sustain 
you know? And so that's where I'm really at is how to sustain. Like, I love that I've had so many great introductions, but it's nothing if I can't show up fully. And so I guess that's the question of like, how can you show up fully? And your body has to be in a certain place. You're, you know, you do, people have to partner with you to make sure that you can do your work because I am disabled. <laughs> like, yeah. let's not even like, let's say the word, like a colleague and just, you know, his name is Lawrence Carter Long. And he says, say the word, like you get, mm-hmm. you get through a lot of the weeds when you just say it. And um, I think acknowledging it is crucial to what are, what are the provisions? What are the, what's the access? Mm-hmm. What are the, the accommodations that I'll need to even show up for you? You know, mm-hmm. if you're going to include me, how you include me. I think this is happening with, you know, black and brown folks in different corners of, of fields right now, wherein if you want authentic engagement, you really got to be authentic and be okay with the answer to how can you show up, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, stop being so scary about saying it. A, a girl I interviewed for this pod last season was like, it, this is a word, disability is not a you know, a bad word. It's a word that allows you to see where I'm coming from, what I need and how you can fulfill that, right? Like without acknowledging that, then you take away a lot of the learning that could be happening. So I feel you there. When, when were you diagnosed with cerebral palsy and what was that like? And I always ask people, you know, was there any incident of this in your family prior? I have my own cousin, um, he's a twin, and he was born, his twin was not born with cerebral palsy, and he was. Um, Yeah, so, you know, watching my aunt navigate that, and I don't think we had any in our cases in our family before, but, you know, you have one (laughs) able-bodied twin boy and then the other needs a lot of help and you know just seeing her juggle that has been was interesting for me growing up as a kid for sure but yeah I just wanted to get some of your diagnosis story and when when that changed yeah yeah so I was diagnosed when I was three months old Mm -hmm. or six months and so I don't I you know I I didn't have much of (laughs) You I talk to the doctors and you said <laughs> <laughs> Well, because I was really um, I mean, do people do people develop can can it be developed later in life? I did see, you know, infants, you know, they tell parents like look out for these signs if your infant isn't moving this way or they're carrying right. their weight differently. No, it's primarily a disorder. Like mm-hmm. it only manifests within the first year, you know, right. of a person's life. And of course, early diagnosis is like the key for everything. But my mom was the one who, you know, noticed that like my left hand wasn't opening as well as my right mm-hmm. and and floppy. And so, yeah, she actually pushed. I don't think they would have diagnosed me within the first year had it not been for my mom kind of being like, this is what I'm observing. This is what I'm seeing. And yeah, my family had my brother was a preemie my older brother was a preemie and so my parents were already kind of knowledgeable of I guess (laughs) medical crises medical you know jargon they at least they were open (laughs) Mm -hmm. they were um, Mm -hmm. open for you know for that but yeah like I think I really actually I just told my parents that they're they're kind of instinctual advocacy 
was pr it's pretty inspired and to not even have like a like quote unquote scholarly disability aesthetic or scholarly disability lens they mm -hmm. did a lot of things for me before I could do for myself that have made me comfortable in the world that I'm in made me effective in what I'm doing and also made me secure in my body like I think there's mm -hmm. this they instilled in me an a priori value um mm -hmm. based in religion based in Christianity and church and 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 God's view of of body and of what creation means but also in bioethics I just learned this like they, there is like a you know, a whole Abrahamic like viewpoint that like the body is essential and like is intact and so that's really interesting how that can transfer to something they, they felt instinctual but there's like a medical strategy behind it mm -hmm. thought process. a lot of different really awesome kind of windy ways that I you know kind of was saved from a maybe a botched surgery or a you know an ill-advised intervention they said, you know, they said absolutely no surgeries, absolutely no invasive procedures, you know, because they they really understood early on that like your body changes. And so even even with the category of cerebral palsy, you know, things can change on a young body and things can right. evolve and establish. So they weren't trying to stunt what mm -hmm. could be. So, yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful because I feel, you know, some people, some parents, even if they don't know how to approach it, I mean, yeah, like you said, the inspirational aspect that they would be proactive and be open-minded and, you know, advocate for you. Mm. I feel like enough and pour into you so much that you feel comfortable in your body to move across the country away from this support system and these resources and be on your own. I mean, that's huge. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I credit them so much. <laughs> yeah. How has it been? I mean, I know you've been here for a while, but when I think of a city like mm -hmm. New York, I know that I'm in Harlem and I know that it's not a city that was constructed to cater to disabled bodies. It's not a city that, or like in function, I mean, I know we've been, been in a house primarily now, but how has it been navigating this city and, and what did it feel like when you first got here I feel like it, it has similarities to Oakland but what were some maybe differences that you had to acclimate mm. yourself to well I think the thing a step back from that is I was already I was largely disconnected from disability um culture so mm. I was already I was just really in a place like trying to not necessarily hide it but I wasn't I wasn't shouting from the rooftops that I was a disabled, you know, artist right. when, I, when I first came here. I thought that the virtue was in playing the game, winning the mm -hmm. game on, you know, on your own merit in spite mm -hmm. of ability. Wow. And then, then they start to like, oh, then they start to really kind of vibe with you and, you know, and, and be with you. So, you know, attacking New York City was like a badge of honor was like if I could mm. I could be on the subway like everyone else if I could walk two miles you know in any direction I'm like everybody else like there was this I was seeing the virtue in this concrete jungle okay so this is where we had an interruption 
just to let you know. We actually had two, but I covered up the first one. I, If you're a sleuth, then maybe you noticed. But here is the break that I could not cover up. Well, maybe I could have. But um, the conversation continues after this. So if you have something else to do or you need to just take a little break, here's your chance. Here's your intermission. But if not, the conversation continues after this. Hello. Hello, stranger. <laughs> Is it okay if we just do it on the phone? I set up my like iPad and mic, so hopefully we'll get something. Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah, thank you. <sighs> we were talking about we were talking about New York, and you were saying you wanted to conquer the city, and it was kind of like a yeah. a badge of honor for you to, you know, take the subway like everybody else and do things like everybody else yeah that was really my that was your thought he's like that's it that was it <laughs> okay well okay the next question is i wanted to ask was how did you get into dance and and why um mm-hmm. yeah so i so i came to new york to be a theater person i went to, i went i was gonna write for the stage and maybe television i left NYU where I was going prematurely uh, because I didn't have enough money to stay. And so I transferred to the school called the King's College. I don't know nothing about it. It does not have an arts program. And so I start to I start to do side jobs and, you know, started to try and get internships. I landed at the New Victory Theater on 42nd Street as an education apprentice. And like, literally the last month of my apprenticeship, I meet this choreographer named Sean Curran, who was a teaching artist and was doing his, like, was doing a workshop in the studios. And I, I supported him, but I, he, he made me a participant instead of, like, his lackey mm-hmm. um, or his, his, you know, his intern. Mm-hmm. And so I just, like, learned about movement vocabulary, I started to, you know, make, just make with the other participants. This was a week, mind you. This was five days. And by the end of it, he uh, had introduced me to this woman named Heidi Lasky. I auditioned for her, and she has a company, a physically integrated dance company in the city, and she was my introduction to dance. She knows a lot about how to create uh, meaningful and, and unconventional casts. Mm-hmm. of folks mm-hmm. and so you know when she asked me what I was doing after my session with her it just kind of clicked I was like you know I've always wanted to explore I've always wanted to have like a New York moment it was kind of like I just wanted to have a New York moment I just wanted to have like a, an anecdote of like oh those six months that I was like a dancer um <laughs> I, I, I wanted to see I wanted to kind of just feel and see how the invitation would flourish would go I, I didn't have any desire to like upend the dance industry or become a part of it it just it I loved I loved movement movement I loved moving I found it really exhilarating that someone was interested in how I moved mm-hmm. and I just wanted to accept that you know I want I wanted to accept that offering because that's why I came here. That's why I came to the city. That's why I became an artist or was tra- was training as an artist was to pick up on those invitations. And so I think the simplest answer 
is that they invited me. Like, why did I do it? Because I was invited. Mm. And you hadn't, like, dabbled. I mean, had you been in the arts when you were in um, Oakland at all? Or was yes. This... Okay. Yeah. No, yeah, I was, I was writing mostly. I did some plays. My brother's the actor. And so nice. I... And he really threw it down. So I was like, I was kind of intimidated. <laughs> and didn't really go into acting as much as he did. But yeah. That's awesome. You, you have the whole set. You could write the plays. He can act it. It's great. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's so, that's so sweet. So how, how would you describe your choreography? And how, how have you made it? I mean, you talked earlier about you know, finding the lines and mm-hmm. different things, but how do you make it distinct to you and and your expression? Sure. I can really love sinuous movement and uh, circular movement. I think that they, they look really good on me, but also, like, for me, it's a really deep movement vocabulary because it's not straight, it's not, you know, it's not interesting, it's not ending. So I think that I, when I create work, I'm trying to think about the circularity of movement. How can I, you know, never get caught in rigidity? Or if I do get caught in rigidity, that I, it's intentional. Mm-hmm. I'm trying on, like, a movement procedure called authentic movement, where one person clo- closes their eyes and moves, and the, another person witnesses them and tells them what they saw. And I think, to a certain extent, my audience is just an extended witness to what I'm discovering in the moment. Yeah. The other part of my choreography and of my my work is mostly conceptual, wherein I take an idea. I have I always have a root for the piece. I think it's my my theater brain or my my writing brain, where it's like I have to have a really central idea, mm-hmm. and it's usually so it's usually centered on a word or a definition, and I want to I want to establish the usefulness of that word or critique the usefulness of, you know, our ideas around this word, and my movements are supposed to try and, and narrate how to problematize or how to upset our held notions of that word mm-hmm. um, or of that, of that definition. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that. And do you feel like... When you are dancing, do you feel like, I mean, what has the feedback been? Do people um, kind of get what you're trying to convey? Or, I mean, what do you, maybe, what do you hope people take mm. from your expression? I mean, I loved how you were talking about that form, but, yeah. Yeah, I mean, again, from 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 theater, I, I gained a hard shell. Of like, you know, just a comfort with killing my darlings if they didn't, you know, serve the overall purpose. Mm. And so I guess I'm not as I'm not as sensitive to you know, you know, categorical love or categorical hate. Thankfully, I've I've largely received wiki backs, and people are <laughs> interested. In it. I think you know. I wonder if, like, I'm still in the in the spectrum of novelty mm. or being novel, mm. um, and so you know it's all new. So there isn't there isn't a real critique on how well I'm doing something. I think I think though 
that people recognize that do have facility and that do have a sense of training and a, and a compositional brain that is typical in dance or typical in, in art making. So I do I do really strive to let it be structured, legible. You know, I, I as an audience member myself, I love when an artist thinks about the audience as well and 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 their time. You know, yeah. I think the key. The chief sin is being self-indulgent. Yeah. And I try to really watch that. So I guess really I just, I, I would love, I'd love for someone to take away. I really only care that they, that they understood where I was coming from. Yeah. You know, like they understood like, oh, this is the, this is what he was saying. Or, this is the thesis. And then your emotions around that could be whatever you want them to be. Right. Yeah. Digest it for yourself type of thing. Right. How have you been keeping up your practice in COVID and with quarantine? Well, I nested for the first half. Yeah. Like, up until a month ago. Yeah. I really just settled. I mean, I just lost. I, I lost a lot of things that I was rearing up to, to do. Mm-hmm. And I just had to sit in my disappointment for a little bit, you know? Like, yeah. And I, I also was very skeptical of, of, of everyone else's immediacy to kind of mitigate COVID and to mitigate it with Zoom and projects and, right. high, again, hyper productivity. Mm-hmm. And I was like, let, let me chill. You know, yeah. like, my like actually, I continued to make and continue to, to work. And then, it, you know, in, a, in an awesome way, I was able to support mutual aid funds with my time and energy. I was able to adjudicate artists, like, artist funds and, and, and help people get money and get support. Mm-hmm. So it became, activism became, you know, part of the repairing and part of the slowing down. Yeah. Um, to focus on what was crucial. Right. My movement practice definitely did take a back seat, if you will. But I also think that, like, everything is part of my movement practice. Yeah. <laughs> so even is, like, slowing down. But I did early on make a really cool piece for this UK artist in my bathtub, which was fun. Oh my gosh. Um, I, I want to see like, that. I need to, <laughs> I need to, is it online? It's not online. Uh, it's like, it was an Instagram live, so it was, it's, it's no longer around. It was a moment have, in like, time. It was a moment in time. It was, yeah, I think that was like the first time, the first experience of like finding what my new, you know, what my apartment was doing, what my apartment is as a locus for, for making. Mm-hmm. But I definitely did continue rehearsing with this project I'm on called Wired. And I was still, you know, dancing. I was, I was still kind of doing it, but not with the, with the focus, with the laser focus I had in the old world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I think it's so important to just like you said, sit in it and feel everything you're feeling rather than trying to distract from yeah. what you're going through. And yeah, we can't sit in it and remain sedentary for so long, but we have to, you know, we have to acknowledge those feelings and not just gloss over them because this is unlike anything. Yeah. Something else I wanted to ask just because, you know, this season is about black men and I think mm-hmm. masculinity is something that is so dense and so there's so many thoughts and you know as the surge of like feminist and go women has happened I've started to see especially for black men 
just like there's limited spaces to talk about things that have again been glossed over or things that um mm. not I hate the word plague but plague that community and mm. when I you know took this step into talking about health and wellness when I look at health and wellness for black men or resources that are there often what I'm finding is that they surround three things. So it's like sex and it's fitness and maybe it's diet as it relates to fitness and strength. So I've been just like thinking about that a lot and thinking about which men or what men are allowed to be soft, who's allowed to be vulnerable. And like when you, when do you feel vulnerable, which is something I'm going to ask you too, but what's, what's your approach to masculinity and how, how would you define it? And Maybe even exploring what what feels limiting to you from the mm. the standard and the tradition of masculinity, especially black masculinity. Yeah, you know, I I definitely have been thinking about this in relationship to pronouns mm-hmm. and the choices of pronouns, and I feel very comfortable still saying he his mm-hmm. because I really do feel I like being a man. I think that my the way that I express and the, and the contributions are not exclusive from that identity. Mm-hmm. And I think that what, you know, part of my practice is like, is expanding my definition, you know, and I think that we still useful in a way. I still think it's like, it can be expansive and, and as we've seen, you know, mm-hmm. in society, but I, you know, in terms of being a, uh, find it, find male at birth, I do find, and again, this goes back to my faith upbringing, which is like, this was intentional, you know, and so with that intention of how I was brought into this world, I do feel a sense of, a sense of like, what can I do with it? You know, I, I feel, I see it as clay and I see it as like melding mm-hmm. and molding. And the fact that like, not, that I cannot just be one iteration of it Mm -hmm. and I think um there are so many examples and and you know just not often talked about examples of men who have done it well Mm -hmm. even before we needed them to do it well right so like there's a fabulous artist named Joffrey Holder who I just absolutely love he was he was a dancer he was (laughs) He's more well known for Boomerang with Eddie Murphy, but he was fabulous. He directed and costume designed the original Wiz, um, oh. the Broadway production of the Wiz. Yeah. He was married to, to Carmen de Lavalade, who was a fabulous dancer, and so they were like a power couple in the '60s and '70s. And so, like the man is just like Renaissance, mm-hmm. and I looked at him as like, wow, like you don't have to just be rigid about who you are and what you do but I think there's a you know I I do appreciate the kind of societal expectation of of strength of and not that it's exclusive from what a woman's strength is or feminine strength is Mm -hmm. but that it it is a strength it is something that needs to be a part of the of the equation there's a an alchemy that is necessary especially for the black community and black family mm. that a man a man's presence or a, a masculine presence is crucial to upbringing is crucial to to formation so with these things being a part of it i do find comfort in name, naming myself as, as, as but i'm also not 
typically masculine. Like I, I, like yo, like I, I definitely love silly things. I mean, not that that would like make me would emasculate me, right. but there's a way in which my expressions can be interpreted as possibly feminine, which I actually also love because it doesn't. Our definitions are just weak. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that that's what it is. Our our understandings of things are just weak. Yeah, we maybe we've maybe only dealt with part of the story, and I'd love to just keep it in keep it in our tongue for when we have something more to say about it. Yeah, and so that's where I'm at. Yeah, definitely. I think you're right that like our definitions don't encompass the nuances <laughs> of everyone, and yeah, yeah, yeah because. It's never straightforward. Like being goofy mm-hmm. isn't doesn't make you less masculine than someone who right. never laughs. You know. Right. Um, yeah, it's interesting though how we box people in and how we mm-hmm. how we deny others who don't fit in that box. It's like what? Yeah. Um, yeah. Like what? Yeah. Like what? <laughs> but yeah, I wanted to know when or. When do you feel you're most vulnerable, or have you ever felt vulnerable, and how do you navigate mm-hmm. those feelings? Yeah, I've, I've placed a, a very high premium on my intelligence. Mm-hmm. I think because it was supposed to supplant my physical acumen, mm. and when I feel most vulnerable is when I don't seem smart, or intelligent, or, or witty. And I think it's because it, it's the top of the Jenga board. Like, right. It's a, the, you know, it, it's the thing that's most vulnerable or, or less protected. Right. And up for more scrutiny because I've coveted or I've made it to be so big in my life. Because I think that it stems from this desire not to be discounted. Mm. Because of this, the stigmas of disability as it relates to, as it relates to intellectual capacity. Right. They aren't corollary. You know, mm-hmm. so that's why that's why I really I really feel most vulnerable is like if I have a misstep, if I have a misnomer, if I'm you know stuttering, which is actually another is, is I have a friend, a new friend who is really helping me to repair even that. You know, yeah. um, sense of time. How time is also a construct that leads us to harmful harmful actions. But yeah, it's, it's usually when I'm like, oh, I'm I'm not the best I am right now or the best that I, you know, and, mm. and um, yeah. Striving for that. Yeah. I can, I can relate to that too. Mm. And I mean, even if it's just like, I don't, not that I want to be the smartest person in the room, but if I'm amongst mm. other smart people, I want to mm-hmm. be, feel equal, like feel on an equal field. Right. You know? I did want to talk to you about health and wellness and just, I mean, in a general sense, what does that mean or look like to you? And if you think in the health and wellness space, there's been made room for people with disabilities or for conversations surrounding disability. I feel like I was just talking to my aunt and I was telling her about, I don't know if you saw the New York Times like roll out those like ADA stories like right around the anniversary of the American Disabilities Act. And so they were talking to, you know, all these different disabled bodies but it's like why can't we do that year round like why is, yeah. why is this something that we reserve for a special moment in time and like why i don't know i was just i was i was Taylor. i was excited but i also was like but why why yeah. now like, yep and it's so frustrating because 
well, I'm now answering the question, but it's just frustrating, <laughs> you know? It's just so frustrating to see, to see, I don't know, just to see things like, it's it's almost as bad as Black History Month. I mean, not to right. compare the two, but it's like, why do we only get a moment in time to talk about these things? These need to be talked right. about all the time. It's not, right. It's it deserves space. And so I just want <laughs> your thoughts, <laughs> now that I've dumped my opinion <laughs> on it, I would want your thoughts. How do you really feel? <laughs> me not passionate about it at all it's just it's <laughs> just a thing oh my gosh but no like 88 30 was intense yeah it was intense yeah because it was like spotlight for 30 days and yeah everybody named mama wanted something from my friends from people i know from you know like, they needed a profile, they needed text, they needed alt text, they needed, yeah, you know, they, yeah. they needed, they needed uh, video, they needed pictures, they needed all this stuff. And similarly, it was like, but you gotta do it this month. You know, it's like, you only yeah. have a month, you only have two weeks, you only have two days, like, I need it yesterday. And so, I think the conversation is not, actually, it's, and it's really strange because, man, we already have physical therapy. We already mm-hmm. have occupational therapy. Mm-hmm. We already have systems that are there to, uh, well, actually, I would like to say, like, in terms of how the medical system even thinks about disability, it's it's got to be repaired. Medicine in general, right? Like, it's just such a, there's such a strong, strong association to cure mm-hmm. that care brings. Mm-hmm. And I think in my communities, care is looking a lot like individual bases looking to see the person knowing you know them there's a relationship there even if there isn't a relationship that access how Mia Mingus a disability scholar and writer talks about access access intimacy Mm -hmm. which is a notion of like it's elastic that you won't ever get it right but that you that the the beginning of the inquiry and the beginning of you finding their threshold is intimacy and is also the work of, of repairing kind of separation. Right. And so, yeah, that work is great in terms of, of in terms of wellness, of course. Mm. And I think the conversation needs to get away from, again, productivity. You know, how can we produce a system that allows a person with CP to do as many push-ups as non-disabled, able-bodied person? Like, that kind of comparison game mm. isn't going to bring us forward mm-hmm. to the state of, you know, sustainable health and wellness. To a certain extent, I don't know if I'm really the, the one to be talking about <laughs> health and wellness because I definitely put myself at risk uh, doing this stuff. I used to operate in a lot of the, the expected notions of, of body image. Mm-hmm. Um, that's repairing as well. But I, I think the conversation I want to happen is how people how people can show up mm-hmm. there are these two people who were thinking about rethinking the gym as not just a place where you just work out your body but can you can it lend itself to a collective to a collective mm-hmm. like could could you could your work be building a garden or could your work be recycling or you know blending 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 helpful uh measures for the community right and you know how you exert your body and i love that idea 
I'm really into like how are we framing health and wellness and let, making it open and keeping it open for the things that we're not expecting to fill it. Especially, and this is really, really my point, especially because things like disability justice actually help and repair the the normal systems. Like, it, I, I strongly feel that why ADA 30, like, why disability should actually be more in the milieu and more, because it shouldn't be just reserved for when you are in a wheelchair, when you have an assistive device, or when you are incapacitated, but we should be thinking about ourselves in a in a spectrum of like capacity mm-hmm. that could that could be uh, helped that could be uh, supported right. by an understanding of that word disability, which is at a certain point you need assistance or at a certain point you will need support, and that we we normalize that would help everyone, you know. Right. And we talk about that within the black community as. as you know, we need to be sharing more. We, you know, we need to be thinking about correct mental health. But then again, I think the black community also does not really associate disability with with a racialized viewpoint. Mm-hmm. That you know, and so that's where we kind of we, we cut it off. At like again, trying to we we negate disability or disability function in racial politics because we're still trying to become as good as white people, right? <laughs> or as as capable, so that would that would really set us back if we if we if we seeded a vulnerability like that or a kind of access point. So mm-hmm. I, so that kind of I feel that's going to keep us back actually. Yeah, and that's going to keep everyone back. We again like not identifying our vulnerabilities that will make us vulnerable. Mm-hmm. I think about the maybe the in, black and indigenous disabled communities as being more of a mandala and more of like a you know talking to each other mm-hmm. and so this is the slight differences I think it's just cultural too you know like brown people just kind of look at each other a lot more often mm-hmm. I think yeah uh, yeah I think so too and also I just I've always felt that black and brown people just have more of a sense of community, right? Like checking on each other and anticipating others' needs. And I think that's why when a black person does something audacious, we feel like it's a representation of us. We can't disassociate from someone else in our tribe, right? Whereas someone white can do something ridiculous and they, or they can think something totally separate and it's, you know, it's permitted they're, they're allowed to think individually and I think there's yeah there's a good and bad to both of those things right like I right. often find I would love not to have to and I think you probably yeah. experience this to be the purveyor of everything black and disabled yeah. or everything black and exactly. not be the token in the room but there is also such strength in seeing each other and not having to feel so distant from one another you know Mm -hmm. if you're in a neighborhood and you exchange a glance or a nod it's like the unspoken languages of this (laughs) tribe are things i would never give up um i mean hive mind is for one because if if we all think the same they're gonna clock us mm -hmm. more easily you know Mm -hmm. what i'm saying it's like we're we put we we put ourselves again in a vulnerable in a vulnerable spot that like is unnecessary we don't have to be we don't have to be cajoled and moved and fashioned right. by the whims of other people. Like, right. 
you know, as you said, you said allowed, you know, people are allowed, or white people are usually allowed to be individuals, like, well, we need to give ourselves that allowance, too, mm-hmm. like, and I think that we are doing it, I mean, we, we've definitely corrected and definitely called our own people throughout, you know, the time of our, of our community, of being community, I think we have to recognize possibly what, like, I think to, to the outsider, like, how does, you know, does a nod, what does a nod do in the street mm-hmm. versus, like, you know, a, a phone call and knowing that person, like, what is really about a community that does keep us together? Mm-hmm. And just noting those things, I mean, of course, it's culture, of course, it's Moesha mm-hmm. and Blue Magic. Right, <laughs> right. Hair and just And Just For Me right. and Happy Ever After, you know, like, these moments, we just have to identify how they make us a community. Mm-hmm. It's the same in the disability community. I'm finding it's just like, man, I don't want to get caught in a place where we lose our usefulness because we've lost our perspective or right. our varied perspective. Right. Yeah. Because, yeah, that's more powerful than everyone saying, you know, I'm mm-hmm. going with the flow because the, the majority is going with it. It's, yes. it's way more way more powerful to speak on your own experience and even if that's not immediately accepted just share that so people can understand where you're coming Mm -hmm. from because as much as we yearn for like shared experience there's so much value in someone who's not like you if I've learned Mm -hmm. like that's the one thing I've learned in life is like going to Mm -hmm. a freaking private white institution all these places where I've felt uncomfortable like there Mm -hmm. is value in my discomfort and there's value Mm -hmm. in differences for sure Mm -hmm. like I cannot be closed off to people just because they think differently than me or just because they've come into this world differently than me, right? Like, mm-hmm. I have to be, open up my mind to the possibility that I'm not the standard. <laughs> yeah. I think everyone yeah. should do that. I think everyone should right. do that. Yeah. I mean, well, here's the rub, right? Like, the first one I was called, like, the N-word with the hard, hard E-R mm. was, was when I was at NYU. Wow. Where, like, you know, socially liberal, you know, politically liberal place right. by a white man. Right. And then I go to this, like, conservative school King's College where there's like you know I should have expected a lot of you know barrier mm-hmm. and I was treated with the utmost respect right. and I was treated and I was given my full humanity so you never know where it's coming from exactly <laughs> and like you know and and we have to like I guess this is a reminder for me even with like my now that I'm kind of identifying with institutions that are institutions especially mm-hmm. who's doing it right who do I want to latch to and being disappointed right like disappointment doesn't mean you stop evolving with that entity with that thing I, I wonder how long what does it take to really cut off an experience you know cut off a line of connection right and I'm still discovering that yeah yeah oof so crazy to think about all of these things and and, you know it's like I don't know if we'll ever reach an answer but the discovery and the journey is is very it's nice to just (laughs) to think and be in those those thought spaces it is yeah I don't like these other three questions I have for you really okay (laughs) I like oh okay I like this question actually 
what constitutes to you, and I think we've, these are kind of things we were just talking about, but what constitutes mm. to you a safe space, and when do you know Ooh. or feel safe? I think that. Yes. Yeah. I feel safe when I'm laughing. Mm-hmm. I feel safe. My safe space is talking about beauty and form and all the forms. When I have a, like a, a space that is just is going to do that work of like we're here, we see each other for all we are. Mm-hmm. That's when I feel safe. I feel unsafe with judgment. I feel unsafe with judgment that isn't toward me. Mm-hmm. That's toward someone else. Like, you know, I, because I, I, then I think, you know, I, I would go back to myself. Like, if you're judging someone else, if you have judgment over someone else for something that happened, you know, when am I going to get that? Right. You know, or when, it, when is one of the people in the room going to receive that same kind of critique? Mm, yeah. So the last question I ask all of my guests, because I too am spiritual and I too, you know, through the turbulence and through the desire to always be productive or in motion, have found that it's really important to think about what brings you peace. And so I end all of my shows asking everyone what brings you peace. So it can be anything. I think it's laughter. Yeah. That's my safe space. That's how I is it's an indicator for the safe space and that's also like the product of peace. That's how I know I'm at peace. Yeah. Yeah. Beyond Ourselves is an original series produced and hosted by me, Taylor Camille. A variety of the series artwork shared here and on our Instagram at Beyond Ourselves are created by Carmen Johns and Sierra Hood. My hope is that these listenings have left you with a warm heart and an even cooler mind. I hope you are left feeling able to seek peace in the spaces and places you may find yourself in. If you're interested in being on the pod or have any compelling leads, please shoot us an email at info at beyondourselves.com and subscribe and share if you haven't already.